Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're with us this morning. If you can, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. My encouragement to you is that you would um, hear God's word this morning, Luke chapter 21, and, um, and that God would use it in your life. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, that's where we find ourselves as we make our way verse by verse through the book of Luke. And so um, if you don't have a Bible or it's your first time here, I'd encourage you to grab one. There's some in the uh, seat pockets in front of you or some in the back. Um, but my encouragement is make every effort to um, be engaged in the word and walk through it with us so that you can see what's being said in the scriptures, that it can have its full effect on your lives. So Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 is where we are. And while we're there, let me just say this. What an encouragement to see um, that parking lot full of cars yesterday with so many people working and serving um, to make our new church um, uh, ready for, uh, for the first day of worship. I mean, um, what an encouragement, and people were just there all day. Uh, I mean, it was almost getting dark outside, and, and people were <laughs> there from early in the morning. And so, what an encouragement. Thank you for your service. You're going to be um, enjoying that. It's your, your home, um, and uh, while you're sitting in there worshiping, you'll know um, that, uh, that you contributed to making that possible. Um, and so God's just going to use it for his glory as we really just continue to do the same things we've always done while we're in that building, which is teach the word of God, right? And so God's going to use it. Um, but what an incredible uh, few weekends so far of people really giving everything they have and serving the Lord. So thank you for coming out. And, um, and let's read the text now because God's going to um, really, I think, teach us here this morning. Luke chapter 21, verses one through four. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, truly, or truly, I, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, this is an incredible small, incredible and small section. It's incredibly small as well. Four verses here, but a lot to learn. And I think before you jump to the conclusion of what's being said here, let me tell you, I think this is maybe one of the most um, misunderstood passages in, in Scripture. Um, there's a, obviously a long list of misunderstood passages, but this is definitely one of them. And the reason why that is clear is because of the context of this, where we are in Luke. If you've been here for uh, a while, um, you've been with us walking verse by verse through this book, well, you understand the logical flow of where we are at in this narrative and really where we are in the whole redemptive narrative. Where are we in the whole redemptive narrative? Well, we are entering Passion Week. We are in Passion Week. 
and Jesus is about to be killed. That's where we are, right? Where are we in the book of Luke? Well, Jesus is just finishing indicting all of the religious leaders and he's about to pronounce future judgment upon them and then they're gonna get angry and kill him. So it wouldn't make much sense for Jesus to just randomly here insert a unit about um, proper giving, right? That's not what's happening here. Um, which is why I encourage you and tell you, you can't just, you know, pick verses out of the scriptures to just support certain things um, without understanding um, the logical flow, particularly of a book or a section or the context surrounding it. So what is happening here? Well, let me tell you the main point up front, then let me get you there, and then I'm gonna walk you through it to show you that that's what it is, okay? And then I think we should really learn a lot here. What is the main point here? Well, what we're seeing in this section, the authorial intent of this passage, as we make our way verse by verse through this, is that Jesus is making clear the superficial and false religion of Israel, and especially its leaders. And he's doing so through exposing their superficial sacrifice. Okay, let me say this again. Jesus is making clear the superficial and false religion of Israel, the people of Israel, and specifically its leaders. And he's doing so through exposing their superficial sacrifice. So that's why I've entitled this message, Superficial Sacrifice, the Evidence of False Religion. That's what we're seeing here. How do we get to this place? Well, we're sitting in Wednesday, on Wednesday here. We, we've really talked about the logical flow. Uh, really, the, we've really talked about what, what just is actually happening from Saturday to Sunday to Monday to Tuesday. And now here on Wednesday, right? Saturday arrives in Bethany. Sunday, a crowd kind of comes over to Bethany because they heard Jesus was there. He just had recently raised Lazarus from the dead. Monday, he enters Jerusalem, goes into and around the temple, kind of looks around, assesses things, goes back out to Bethany. Tuesday, right, comes in, um, curses the fig tree, overturns the tables, cleanses the temple, goes back out to Bethany. Wednesday morning comes in, explains the fig tree, and then is in and around the temple the entire day on Wednesday teaching. And he's not only teaching, but he's also silencing and stopping the religious leaders. So Jesus has exposed all the leadership. And that's really where we sit at this point. He's exposed all the leadership, silenced all the leadership, They've tried to trap him. They've tried to stop him. They've tried to catch him. And he's exposed all of them. Now, most recently, he's exposed their superficial understanding and expectation of the Christ. Um, they didn't expect him to be the Lord. They weren't looking for God. They weren't looking for 
God to come on earth, a descendant of David, but the sovereign Lord to come and make sinners right with God. They didn't believe they needed to be made right with God. They didn't need repentance. They didn't need to enter into the kingdom. They didn't need salvation, right? They needed a political Messiah who would come and restore Israel back from its discipline from God, back from its disobedience to usurp Rome and become strong again. And they thought at that point they would have the favor of God if they were, had their earthly prestige and power and wealth and control back. That was their symbol of being in God's favor. Well, really the Messiah was gonna be God himself who would come and bring about restoration spiritually. People needed to be made right with God, forgiven of their sin. And, and um, the disobedience of Israel in the Old Testament God would send a Messiah to restore and redeem Israel, but it wouldn't be physically and earthly. It would be spiritually. They needed to be made right with God and forgiven of their sin. That's why the Messiah was coming, but they missed that. So Jesus indicts all the leaders. Then the last, you know, the last section we saw was, or a couple sections ago, was that they had a false expectation of the Christ. Well, not only did they have a false expectation of the Christ, but we saw last week that Jesus exposes the scribes' false teaching and, and hypocritical character, right? False religion, hypocritical character, false teaching. And he condemns the scribes. So listen now, you ready? He silences, stops all day Wednesday, all of the major religious leadership groups of Israel. Then two weeks ago, he exposes their false expectation, superficial expectation of the Messiah, the Christ. Last week, he exposes the false teaching, hypocritical character, and the condemnation of the scribes. That's what's leading up to the passage that we're in today. Now, next week, starting in verse 5, he will start with a long discourse from 5 to 36 about the destruction of Israel, judgment, and then his second coming, his return, right? It's got eschatological, eschatology, future um, reference to, his, to the destruction of Israel and the return of Christ. So right smack in the middle here, right smack dab in the middle, indicting the leaders, false expectation of the Christ, false teaching, false religion, uh, you know, condemnation, our passage, judgment upon Israel because of their false religion. So what's happening right here in the middle? Well, it's not a, a positive lesson on giving. That wouldn't make any sense. He's exposing here still the false religion of Israel. He's, this is judgment before he's taken away and crucified still. And so it's pretty clear it's pretty clear this section is a pronouncement of and really an exposure of their false religion. Now, what is false religion? Well, let me tell you this. We say false religion because there is true religion, right? There is true religion. Um, relig what is religion? Let's start there. Well, religion is simply practice that proceeds from principle, 
Practice that proceeds from principle. Or in other words, you could say life that proceeds from an understanding of the what? Truth, of the truth. Your life, the way you live as an overflow of your knowledge of the what? Truth. That's religion. That's true religion, right? People say um, it's not about religion. It's about a what? Relationship. Sounds good. Not true. It's about both. Right? You need to have a relationship with Christ. Know Christ. And you need to practice true what? Religion. So, so when someone says it's about a relationship, it's not about religion. Say, sounds really good, just not true. Right? It's your life that proceeds from the truth of God's word. The Bible speaks about religion, true religion, as people who are hearers of God's word and then what? Doers of God's word. It's the practice that proceeds from the principle. It's the life that proceeds from the truth. So it's not, we're about a relationship, not religion. That's just not a true statement. You should be about a relationship that then yields a what? Religion. And so true religion is right and good. False religion is not. So what is false religion? Well, false religion is what, you know, these, these scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians were practicing. And that is practice that does not proceed from what? Truth. It's practice mixed with error. It's practice mixed with different motives and various goals. That's false religion. And there's false teachers who practice false religion, right? That's why when we said expect last week, I said false teachers to be religious. What I meant was to be falsely religious, right? Not truly religious, but the, the part of the deception is the religion. They have, an, they have an appearance of godliness, right? But, but false religion is practice mixed with error or practice that does not proceed from truth. And what Jesus is exposing here is their false religion is action not proceeding from knowledge, not proceeding from a love of God, not proceeding from an understanding of truth, not coming from a knowledge of the gospel, a need to repent, trust in Christ, have salvation, enter the kingdom. This is practice with none of that behind it. It is practice for earthly control, earthly power, earthly wealth to be seen by others, And Jesus is exposing this and telling the disciples, don't be deceived. All of this practice means nothing. That's what Jesus is exposing here. And so the way Jesus is going to expose this is by giving evidence of their superficial sacrifices particularly their monetary sacrifice. So 
Jesus is going to expose here that they have action on the outside of giving, but it's mixed with sinful motives. His disciples shouldn't be deceived. They have external actions of of giving, but there's no love for God. It's not a desire to build God's temple, a place of worshiping him. It's not a a response to the truth of, of Christ and of the desire to please him, be in his kingdom, have salvation and, and honor him. It is Their false religion is exposed by their shallow sacrifice. They're giving, but not, for, not out of a love for God. And I think this can expose really our sacrifices. It's, it's not that our sacrifices earn us right standing with God, but they're evidences of our right standing with God. And our sacrifice of our life, right, of our lives, is the evidence of truly knowing God, right? And so it, it's well said that God doesn't count. He weighs, Right? It's not how much you give, but it's what it costs you. And there are plenty of people who call themselves Christians who give a lot and really never sacrifice anything. Right? And for believers, whether your faith is real or not real, or whether it's mature or immature, is really oftentimes evidenced by your sacrifice or left or lack thereof. You can, it's really a manifestation of your faith. We know a lot of people who give a lot of time and money, but never really sacrifice anything. And as soon as their religion begins to um, encroach upon their, their lives, their time, their comfort, their family, their money, right? Their career, what they've saved in their bank account, right? Their schedule. As soon as their home, their time with doing certain things, as soon as their worship of God begins to you know, take away from those things, um, they're done. They're done sacrificing, quote unquote sacrificing. And so you can give a lot and be known for giving a lot, but have never really sacrificed anything. And what's that that is evidence of is your immature faith or maybe a non-existent faith, right? The, The real true sacrifice of our lives is the evidence of our faith. And so Jesus is just making this clear here and, um, and we're gonna see it. How do we see it? Well, three points here as Jesus is in and around the temple. Number one, what we're gonna see is, the, is Jesus's observation. Secondly, what we'll see is Jesus's interpretation. And then thirdly, what we'll see is Jesus's explanation. Verses one through two, Jesus's observation Verse three, Jesus' interpretation. 
in Jesus's explanation, verse four. The observation is just what we see on the surface, what anyone would see. The interpretation is divine understanding and divine judgment. It might be different from what we might say from just looking at the outside. And the explanation is why Jesus gives that um, divine judgment um, based upon an observation that we might see as, as something different than he sees. So let's start with the observation, verses one through two, Jesus's observation. Well, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So I want you to notice here that there's a subject that's front and center. Who is it? Nope. Verse 21, Jesus looked up and saw the what? Rich. That's who he saw. That's the subject here. It's the main subject. He looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. There's a reason why the sentence structure is the way that it is. And he, and he saw what? The poor widow put in two small coins. You can tell that uh, the main subject is really the rich because as he saw the widow, look at verse three, I'm gonna move ahead a little bit. He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than what? All of, all of them. He's referring back again to the subject of the rich people, right? Um, this is a comparison. Uh, this is an exposing of them. So let's understand this. After condemning the leaders, right? Their superficial understanding of the Christ, the scribes, their false teaching, their false character, their future condemnation. Jesus is not entertaining, by the way, false teachers. He's condemning them, right? Um, there's nothing that can be gained from false teachers, right? Second John, if you're reading along in our Bible plan, even tells us um, that there's a difference between those who you're trying to reach, the lost who, who don't know Christ and, and one who is a false teacher. In Second John, it says, you wouldn't even let him into your what? House, right? And, um, and so he's just condemning these false teachers who are claiming to speak on behalf of God and teach what's false. And so here, Jesus, after condemning them, Mark's parallel account tells us that J Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. Here, Luke's account tells us Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Well, Mark's account, which is the parallel account in Mark 12, which is help, very helpful in supplementing this particular text, right? Um, remember, Wednesday, in and around the temple, Mark tells us he sat down opposite the treasury, okay? Um, and so, and then he looked up, right? And so really... Um, this is where the focus is that prompts his comments. He sees the rich putting their offering into the offering basket. He's sitting in the temple uh, courtyard area looking on, and this prompts his comments to the disciples about what's taking place. And so he watched the rich people of Israel 
including the leaders, and really this is what he's exposing, the sacrificial system here, the, the, the giving system. He's exposing this. He saw the rich giving, putting their gifts into what? The offering box. And this is, again, he's showing the evidence of their hypocritical false religion. So them here, verse um, three, like I said, refers back to the rich. So this is, um, the whole point here is that he's giving an assessment of, of what's going on, okay? So what happens? Verse one, Jesus looked what? Up. So the idea, the picture here is this. Jesus has been teaching all day. He's been confronting the leaders and now he's sitting opposite the treasury and outside the temple. You know, he's probably tired. It's the end of the day Wednesday. He knows what's going to take place the next day, which is being in the upper room with all of his disciples. And then that night he's going to be betrayed Thursday night, really into Friday morning, then be crucified, right? And he's, um, he's done a lot. I mean, he's exhausted in his, in his human nature. He's tired, right? Jesus was fully man, but I mean, fully God, but also fully what? Man. So he's, you know, tired at this point, um, probably sitting down in, in the position of outside the temple, opposite the treasury. The treasury was located in really, really what is called the forecourt of the temple or what is sometimes called the court of the women, um, and, um, what would be in that forecourt or the court of the women would be really 13 trumpet shaped receptacles that would be for free will offerings. Okay. And so you can kind of picture this, right? And, and the, the purpose of that is to underwrite the worship, the temple, right? So you're giving towards the worship and towards the temple. Right? And, um, and so this is the scene. Jesus is sitting there outside the temple, just got done really indicting every religious group. It's late in the day, Wednesday. He's about to go back to Bethany, right? He sees this temple court, the forecourt. People are coming into the forecourt, putting their offerings into the receptacles, right? And uh, the disciples are nearby. And he, he's really almost done speaking here. It's almost done Wednesday. And, and this is kind of um, the last thing he's going to really say besides this discourse on the future judgment. And he sees these rich people putting, in Mark's account says, large sums of money into these receptacles. And what would happen at this point in, um, in Israel is the amounts are announced, right? That, that's just normal right? That's not something special. The amounts would just be announced. So you're sitting there. Um, you, you, he's watching. People are giving their money and someone is nearby publicly announcing what, would, what was being given, right? And um, this is just the religious culture of the Jews. This is just normal. If you go to back, flipping your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six, just a couple pages to the left, Matthew chapter six, um, uh, you see in the Beatitudes, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verses one through four, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to what? Be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your father, which is in 
who is in heaven. Jesus here is really doing the same thing just with a little less urgency, right? He's exposing the false religion of Israel here in the Beatitudes and calling true disciples to be different than that, right? He's redefining what true religion is. He's redefining what it means to worship and know God, right? In, in the Beatitudes. Um, but then he says this in verse two, thus when you give to the needy, sound no what? Trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. So that's what's happening, right? You can flip back to Luke. That's what's happening. You can kind of get this now. Jesus is watching of what, what's going on and he's about to expose the Israel system, the Jewish leaders, and this whole scene of giving. And really he's just continuing to expose their unbelief and their rejection of him as the Christ. And so we see the rich, verse one, were putting in their gifts into the offering box. The rich, the word that's, used here in the Greek, plausios, is really meaning those who have enough, those who are fully supplied, right? They're fully supplied. And, um, and this is the system. They take their offerings, they put them into the receptacles that's announced to be seen, and people see it and hear it. And um, Jesus is sitting outside this temple watching this, opposite of, uh, of these, this treasury. And we know the disciples are nearby because this is who he teaches to. How do we know that? Well, back in Mark's account, in Mark 12, he says, it says that he calls his disciples to him and then speaks to them. So we know that what Jesus is about to expose is teaching his disciples, right? So this is what's happening here. And... Um, Jesus sees them first. But then we get to verse two and he sees something else, right? He also sees, and he sees, while he's watching these rich people do this, there's one who comes and it's, she's a what? A widow. And, um, and it's very interesting because them, he sees them, plural. Um, he sees the rich, plural, Right? And this is really a representation of the whole Jewish system. But then he sees, what? One widow, a widow, right? That's singular. And um, Jesus is really, he's just, it, it, this is emphasizing just, you know, the condemnation of the whole is religious system, that this one widow is just out giving them all in a sense, right? Um, and so this is a single one person coming. And the, the poor, the word here is the Pentecost is really the opposite of the rich word. That is one who is, those are the rich is those who have no need, fully supplied. The need, the word here, poor means needy, has needs of her own, right? That's the point here. There's needs of her own right? Um, fully supplied versus needs of her own. Um, this, is, this is what Jesus is, is starting 
is seeing here. This is what Luke is describing that Jesus sees. This is the observation. And what she does is she puts in two small copper what? Coins. Those are called lepta. What's being described here is these particular copper coins, which are the smallest available currency in Israel. So you really see the contrast here, right? Large sums of money from the rich, all of them, one single widow who gives in the smallest available currency, right? Possible. And, um, and this is what Jesus is exposing here. And she really could focus all of her time and money and energy on her needs because she's got a, a lot of them, right? Um, but we see something different here. So it's announced probably that she gave these two lepta, right? And uh, you could almost hear it, right? When the rich are putting it in, yay! You know, just the, you know, the crowd. And then, uh, and then she's putting it in and they're saying, oh, you know? You could just almost hear the contrast, right? And um, so that's the observation. Just pretty clear. That, that's what's happening in this scene. Well, what's the interpretation? Verse three, let's move to the interpretation. From the outside, uh, this looks pretty obvious as to who is devout, who knows God, who worships God, who lives for him, who loves him, who's in his kingdom, who's not, who's willing to sacrifice, who's willing to give for the worship of, of God and to uh, contribute to that who's really devout, who has salvation, who's repented, who believes in the Christ, who is um, in the kingdom of God. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? From that observation, well, Jesus is going to kind of flip things on its head. Uh, on, um, yeah, flip it on its head here. Verse three. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more uh, than what? All of them. This poor widow has put in more than all of them, right? So this is his correct understanding. This is divine truth. This is righteous judgment. This is coming from the son of God, right? What's on, what, what it's, it's, you know, not what's on the surface. It's not what it's made to look like on the surface here, Right? Mark says that he's, Jesus speaks to his disciples and what Jesus starts with is truly. And you guys know, because we've seen it a number of times, but when he's speaking this word truly, it means this is totally true, right? This is wholly, completely true. The word that Luke uses here, alethos, means truly. Mark uses actually a different word, which is, um, which is even just helpful to see that um, you know, this is just being emphasized in a sense, right? Um, uh, they're saying it in different ways, but, but they're meaning to say the, the point is the same. Jesus said truly, uh, meaning this is wholly true. Mark uses the word um, amen, right? And so A-M-E-N, which is where we get the word what? Amen, amen right? And, and it means in a sense truly. It means in a sense... Um, it, it can be used in different, um, you, you know, in, in slightly different ways with slightly different um, 
um, emphasis, but it, it, it's truly, it's, I, mean, I mean it. It's uh, let it be so. It, it is so. It is true, right? Um, and, uh, and that's the picture here. So when you, by the way, when you say amen while you're, you know, after you're done praying, you know, you're, you're saying um, in, in a few different senses, uh, some different things, you know, yes, let it be so. It's, it's true. Um, I desire it to be true. I, I, what I've said is true. I've given my whole heart. You're emphasizing that you meant it. Um, and uh, Jesus is, is doing that here. This is true. This is totally true. I, I mean it. Although he's speaking of his divine assessment while in our prayers, we mean it kind of coming from our hearts. Um, and so Jesus is giving these true words. And, and basically, why is this important? Well, it's important because this. You might be observing something, but here's the divine assessment, right? Here's the divine judgment. Here's Jesus as the son of God, his assessment of what's truly going on at this point. This is the interpretation, right? And he says, truly, I tell you, who's you? Well, we know from Mark's account that the you is the disciples. This poor widow, which widow again here is, is um, we see this twice here. And so we see all of them, but we see poor widow being used again. I don't know, maybe Luke's emphasizing here at this point um, that she is also um, mistreated, could be. Because what did we just see about the scribes up in verse 47? These scribes devour what? Widows, right? And so we don't really know her intent here. She could be doing this out of worship. She could also be doing this because it's required by the leaders in order to get some kind of blessing. And they could be abusing her, right? So we can't really read too much into her intent. All we know is what Jesus' assessment is, is that she gave more than they gave, right? But... We're, we're reminded again a second time in this section that she is a poor widow, right? So she's really on the bottom of the religious food chain, right? And um, so she, it says, Jesus says, did what? Put in more than all of them, than all of them. What do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. No, she didn't. They put in more than her, right? What's, what, this doesn't make any sense, you know? Um, but Jesus is, is um, giving this divine assessment. Um, and so we're gonna understand what he's saying, but this is comparative. Jesus is saying at this point, they put in less than her. She put in more than them, right? And Jesus says this as plain as it can be. How does this work? This doesn't seem to make much sense to us. Well, what Jesus is saying here is, is, um, is the reality is they didn't really put in anything, Right? Um, Jesus is exposing here that um, this didn't really cost them anything, right? She gave more because it cost her what? It cost her what? More. It cost her more. 
She gave more than them. It cost her more than it cost them. It really didn't cost them anything because they gave out of their what? Abundance. It didn't cost them anything. They were fully supplied. They had no needs. It didn't take away from any of their supply. It didn't cause, there was no sacrifice to them or their lives. Jesus is exposing here the really the whole false religious system of Israel. Religious acts to be seen by others with no sacrifice, no worship, no, uh, no uh, obedience, no submission, no desire for God to be worshipped, no repentance, uh, no, no pursuit because someone wants to be in right standing with God and has a desire to know him and live for him and honor him and worship him. Um, no, no desire to, uh, no um, obedience and, and fruit as the evidence and overflow of, of true salvation. Um, no kingdom-minded works here. Just empty religious acts. That's what he's exposing here, right? It costs them nothing. It might look like on the outside that this system is super religious, and these leaders are super devout and that they're performing these religious acts out of the overflow of truth. Um, but they're really just performing these acts um, to be seen by others and they want power, they want control, they want wealth in Israel, right? That's what Jesus is exposing here. The nature of the false religious system Outward acts of obedience to be seen by others. Inward, no true devotion to God. And, um, and an unwillingness to really sacrifice anything. And so these are unregenerate. These are people who have the appearance of godliness. They want the control of Israel. This is Jesus' indictment of the religious system. This is the divine assessment and this is what's really happening here. It cost them nothing. She put in more than all of them. It cost her more than it cost them. So how do we understand this? Jesus gives the explanation. Verse four. For they all contribute. So here's the reason. Four indicates the reason or the grounds of why he's saying what he says. Here's why this is his assessment. Here's the reason for his assessment. Here's the explanation of his assessment. For they all contributed out of their what? Abundance. And she out of her poverty put in, or her lack, put in all that she had to live on. Here's the grounds. They all, meaning the, the rich, gave out of their excess, right? Uh, what they gave to God um, cost them very little, right? It cost them very little. It might be a lot when you count it, but when you weigh it, right? In a sense, it held very little spiritual weight. It, it didn't cost them anything. There's no true devotion. There's no desire to sacrifice, to love, to live for him and to, to honor him and to worship him. But, and here's the contrast here, 
she gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. What's the point here? Is the point here that um, you should not, uh, you should give everything away so where you have nothing to live on at all? No. Um, that wouldn't fit, that wouldn't square rightly with the scripture's theology on giving. The point is here is that they gave in a way that didn't, uh, out of their abundance, she gave from her very life. She gave from her very life. I, I mean, she gave in such a way that it cost her something. It's, this was a sacrifice, right? True sacrifice. And that's why I said in the beginning here that Jesus is exposing the false religion of the leaders, right? Their false religion through exposing their lack of true what? Sacrifice, right? They're not, they might be looking like they're performing religious acts, but they're not really sacrificing anything at all, right? So she, from the sacrifice of what she actually had to live on, right? From her very life. And, um, and so Jesus is exposing this system here. And sacrifice is the evidence or the lack thereof of genuine faith or lack thereof, right? Um, it's not that her sacrifice earned her salvation or her, earns her entrance into the kingdom. It's not that their lack of sacrifice is preventing them from enter, entering to the kingdom, right? It's that they might look like they are in the kingdom, but the evidence of their false religion is their lack of sacrifice. It's the evidences. The fruit is the evidence of what's really in the heart. And so the, the, the religion is not always a representation of the true state of the, of the person. The size of the gift is not always a representation of the sacrifice. It can be deceptive, right? It's not really the amount of coins that Jesus is measuring here, but it's how much it really costs them, right? The heart of true religion is obedience. The heart of true religion is worship. The heart of true religion is service. The heart of true religion that you know God and love him and wanna honor him and see other people worship him is sacrifice. It's humility, it's surrender, it's love. That's what a true believer looks like. You give and you sacrifice because you want to honor God. And the false religious, they either give or they don't in terms of how it benefits them or reflects on them or affects them, right? And so Jesus is exposing their false religion through their false sacrifice right? This is what Israel really lacked, right? This is what Israel lacked. And um, they might be outwardly appearing clean, but inwardly they are filthy. And Jesus is clarifying, exposing, and, divine, uh, and defining this. They give large sums, but no real sacrifice at all, right? And, uh, and so there's no practice proceeding from divine truth here. 
This is pride, Israel's pride, their leader's pride. This is opportunism. This is external impressions. This is spiritual showmanship. This is false religion, evidenced by lack of true sacrifice. And, um, and Jesus is just exposing their hypocrisy and their greed. And so um, this, is, this is what he's exposing here. And he's about to declare in verse five, the judgment of Israel. And so let me, how does this affect you? Well, this is still true today. Many people perform lots of religious acts, give to various ministries, um, are involved in various religious activities, right? Um, but uh, that's not always a, a, a true evidence of whether or not someone knows Christ, right? And the, the one who truly knows Christ is the one who gives their whole life sacrifices their life for submission to God and the worship of God, right? And so we, we should look at lots, we can look at lots of false religions in our world, right? That do a lot of religious activities, um, perform a lot of religious activities, but really don't have um, a true knowledge of the truth. Um, while at the same time, this is relevant to believers in Christ in the sense that um, your religious activity is not always an indication of your true spiritual state. But an assessment of your sacrifice, of your truly living for God, of your desire to please him and to worship him and to honor him and to have others worship and honor him and it is really an indication of your, of your spiritual maturity. So what does your level of sacrifice reveal about your spiritual maturity? That would be a good question. What does your level of sacrifice really reveal about your spiritual maturity? There's a lot of people who give a lot, but really sacrifice nothing. When it begins to be a sacrifice upon your life, you stop. Right? We got a lot of people who give out of their abundance. And I'm not just talking about monetary giving, right? I'm not just talking about the people in this room or our church. I'm talking about in general believers in Christ, right? You give a lot, but really sacrifice nothing. I think you'll find that as you mature more spiritually, you desire and, and will sacrifice your life to submit to the lordship of Christ. And that's the evidence of genuine maturing faith. Sacrifice, it costs you when it begins to impede on your, uh, on your life. But you know that God is worthy and God is worth it. And you want God to be worshiped, right? The true believer, the mature believer sacrifices so Jesus is exposing this here and, uh, and really Israel's really missed this and he's gonna expose their, their, uh, their future judgment in this next section. He's done really indicting them. So let's pray. Father, we come before you
And we ask that you would help us to just take heed to this. Help us to take heed to this word, Lord. Help us to take heed to this, uh, to, to what you say here. Lord, that we, that we would be people who have true religion, that our practice would proceed from our knowledge of the truth, that our practice and our religious works would proceed from a, a love from you that is willing to sacrifice, give up our whole lives. You say, if anyone is to come after you, they're to take up their cross daily and follow you dying to self, sacrifice of life, desire for you to be worshiped, giving all that we have, giving everything that we have for um, submission to you, obedience to you, love for you, worship of you, advancement of, of uh, your word. God, let us be people who, who are those who truly know you, are truly your disciples, evidenced by our our true willingness to, to sacrifice our lives. And Lord, we pray that for those who might perform religious activities, as we even read in Isaiah earlier today, that say to themselves, no one can see, no one knows. But really, they're, they're, they honor you with their lips and their hearts are far from you. Let them be exposed. False religion literally means nothing. It means nothing that man thinks we're right with God. It means nothing that man might think we are, uh, we are mature spiritually. It literally means nothing if we use religion as a means to some earthly gain. Because one day we will come face to face with you as Jesus is about to expose the future judgment of Israel. One day we will come face to face and our religious works will absolutely mean nothing when they're refined by fire unless they prove to be true and real through our knowledge of you and our love for you and our salvation. So God, I pray that anyone who is living the life of false religion, external religion, would be exposed and that they would repent and that they would truly come to know you, to submit to you, to, to repent of their sins and be saved. And then their religion will be true. It will be um, right and it'll be worshipful and it will pass the test of Christ's assessment. Let that be true for all who don't truly know you and let let us repent as those who do if our religion is purely external. In Jesus' name, amen.